Well, today's going to be a first for me. Uh, I told Phil last week when Phil preached, I said, hey, no pressure. You know, he says he feels this pressure. I said, no pressure, but I'm relying on what you preach about for the Holy Spirit to use that to inspire next week's message. No pressure. No pressure. So at the end of last week, I did have what I thought the Lord wanted for us. But as I prayed through this week, I really sensed God wanted me uh, to finish Colossians 2. I've never at this church in seven years ever preached through an entire chapter. So uh, this is a first for me. We're going to finish the whole chapter of Colossians today. And I just feel it's where God wants us to go. The last two messages that I've brought to you have been entitled Complete in Christ, Part 1 and 2. And today will be the third part of that. I'm going to call it Reality Check. Reality Check. Complete in Christ, Reality Check. What's a Reality Check? Let's put the definition up here. An occasion, this is from the Cambridge Dictionary, and guys on the sound, see if we get, I have like a little like, like reverb or something. Occasion that it causes you to consider the facts about a situation and not your opinions, ideas, or beliefs. An occasion that causes you to consider what? The facts. The facts. I want to say actually not just the facts, but the truth. Today I want you to consider the truth about a situation, not your opinions, your beliefs, your ideas, and I want to add to this definition, or even your feelings. Because a lot of times we let our feelings dictate what we think and believe and decide to to choose. And so this, uh, the title today comes out of verse 17. Today we're going to be looking at verses 16 through 23. Colossians 2, verses 16 through 23. We go to the next slide. I want to just read the main verse. Verse 17 says this. It says, these things are all what? A shadow of things that are to come. The reality, however, is Christ. These things are a shadow. Some translations say... These things are a shadow, but the body is of Christ. Other translations say these things are a shadow, but the substance is of Christ. And whatever way you think about it, what, what does, what's the purpose of a shadow? Have you ever thought about shadows? So if I look here, here's a table, right? Is this table the shadow? No. I have light coming in. It's hitting the thing that's the reality, the substance, the body. And light hitting the body creates what? A shadow. And so a shadow can tell you some things. If I look at this shadow, I can tell that there is a, there's a pole and then there's, a, there's some round thing on it. But I, I can't really tell the, the depth and perception in 3D. Or if I look at my shadow on the wall, I, I can see these things. It's funny how certain things about your own appearance just stick out to you. You know, I was actually born with ears this size. It took me 30 years to grow into them. Like, like they said, said to my mom, your kid's coming out breech. Oh, no, that's his ears. He's not breech. That's reality. <laughs> so if, if I'm coming around a building... And you see my shadow. You might see the, the, hey, Fred's coming. There's his outline. Oh, Fred's tall. Fred's short. Fred's thin. Fred's fat. You might be able to tell some things about me. But once I come around the corner of the building, are you going to, what are you going to do? I'm going to run and hug my shadow? No. No. Why wouldn't I hug a shadow? There's no substance. Right? When my, my wife's going away this week, she's going to see her mother for her mother's 75th birthday. I'll just give a shout out to my mother-in-law. Happy early birthday. Yeah. 75 years. When my wife comes home, I can assure you, I'm not going to hug that shadow. <laughs> a week is a long time. 
I'm not hugging the shadow because the substance, the reality is going to be here. And so what Paul's looking at, he said, hey, the whole purpose of this chapter is I want to convince you that it pleased the Father that in Jesus all the fullness of the Godhead should dwell in him. That the fullness, everything you'll ever need is in Jesus Christ. And he says, and you are complete in him. Jesus is complete. Jesus is perfect. And when you're in Christ, when you've accepted Jesus as your Savior, made him Lord of your life, the Holy Spirit places you into Christ, and now you are complete in him. And what happens a lot of times, that completion takes place the day you accept Jesus. And what happens a lot of times is we spend the rest of our life trying to become complete when we've already been made complete. And we try to become more righteous when we've already been made righteous to the degree that God's righteous. And we try to make ourselves more holy and become more holy. And we go through all these things that because we were made righteous by faith, now all of a sudden we start to maintain our righteousness by works. And that's not God's intention at all. Earlier in this chapter, he says to the Colossians, I think it's verse 6, he says, as you have received Christ, how did we receive Christ? By grace through faith. He says, as you have received Christ, so walk or so live in him. So the same way that you get saved is the same way that you live the rest of your Christian life. Sounds easy, right? So Paul, when he's writing to this uh, church in Colossae, Paul didn't actually plant this church. I, I don't think he even vi ever, ever visited this church. My memory serves me right. But he writes this book uh, and gives them a little instruction on, I want to look today at some isms. Anybody know an ism? Anybody sitting next to an ism? I want to look at three isms that the Apostle Paul addresses. Now, now, some of these are big words, and I apologize, but I'll explain what they mean. The first one is legalism. Legalism. That's a term a lot of people may be familiar with. It starts with the word legal, which means law. And so he, he addresses legalism and, and going back under this system of law of do good. If I do good, God will bless me. And if I do bad, God will curse me. Do good, get good. Do bad, get get. Do bad. Do bad, get bad. And, and so he addresses legalism. The next one he addresses, I want to call this sensationalism. Sensationalism. So sensationalism is just this. It's judging something, whether it's good, based on whether it gratifies my senses. It's good because I feel good. It's good because it smells good. It's good because it tastes good. It's good because... You get the point. It's judging something to be good based on the gratification of my physical senses. And the last one is, is, a, is a word we don't use a lot. It's actually, you can find this in the ESV version. It's called asceticism. Now, asceticism... Oh, thanks. You got them up there. Cool. Asceticism is really just a rigorous... Self-denial. It's, it's denying myself certain things. It has to do a lot with willpower. It ha like, I'm going to not do this, and I'm going to not do this, and I'm going to not do this. It came out of the 1600s, really. Well, actually, earlier than that, because Paul wrote this in the first century. But it, it kind of became popular, this word, in the 1600s, when you'd have people that would take vows of silence or vows of celibacy. And thinking that by doing these certain things that they would somehow achieve some spiritual goal. And so I really just want to look at these three things today. And uh, I think let's start by this. Let's start by reading the, the, the passage. And then we'll go back through it. So this won't really necessarily be on the screen. But you can just listen. Everybody okay with listening? Yes. Lost art of listening. Okay. Colossians chapter 2 verse 16 it starts with the word so or therefore. So the point Paul's making in verse 16 is because of what already happened. So earlier he just said that, that Jesus has wiped away all your sin. He's forgiven all your sin. 
He's taken the handwriting of the requirements that were against you, and he nailed them to the cross. He wiped them out, and you're completely clean. And so based on that, he now starts into verse 16. He says, So let no one judge you in food or in drink or, in re or regarding a festival or a new moon or a Sabbath, which are a shadow of things to come, but the substance or reality is of Christ. Let no one cheat you of your reward, taking delight in false humility and worship of angels, intruding into those things which he has seen, not vainly puffed up by his fleshly mind, I'm sorry, vainly puffed up by his fleshly mind, not holding fast to the head, capital H, from whom the whole body, nourished and knit together by joints and ligaments, grows with the increase that is from God. Therefore, if you died with Christ from the basic principles of the world, why, as though living in the world, do you subject yourself to regulations? Do not touch, do not taste, do not handle, which all concern with things that perish with using, according to the commandments and doctrines of men. These things, indeed, have an appearance of wisdom in self-imposed religion. Now, a lot of people think the word religion isn't in the Bible. It really is. It's in a negative context. False humility and neglect of the body, but these things are of no value against the indulgence of the flesh. So Paul's ending that up there. All those things that you're saying, don't do this, don't do that, they actually don't do anything to help you conquer your flesh. Imagine that. We'll talk about that a little bit later. Okay, so let's go to the very first one. Verse 16. This is legalism. So if you... If you study and look a little bit about the church at Colossae, they have all these different uh, groups of people. They have false teachers. They have Gnostics. They, it's just really a mixture of different religion. And, and so Paul's addressing a number of things. And unfortunately, these three things really, in one way or another, still are present in the church today. Uh, they're present sometimes in denominations, sometimes in a particular body of believers or or maybe an individual. So my hope today is that when you hear the word of God, you'll get free from your religion. Yes. Right? And anytime you say you don't have any, I bet you have a little bit. There's probably a little bit you're holding on to you weren't aware of. And so even this week, this has challenged me uh, just to even just rely more on Jesus. So it says this, So let no one judge you in food or in drink or regarding a festival or a new moon or Sabbaths. Notice that's plural, Sabbaths. Anybody know there was more than one Sabbath? Which are a shadow of things to come, but the substances of Christ. So here's the thing. First of all, Paul wants to point out everything under the system of the law, the purpose of it was to reveal Jesus Christ in the new. That those things weren't necessarily to make you, well, not at all. The purpose of the law was never to make you right with God. Do you know that the requirement of the law was perfection? Is everybody aware of that? There was 613 laws, and we're lucky to know 10. Right? So how are you going to keep all 613 if you don't even know what they are? James says this. It says, he that uh, keeps the whole law but it stumbles in one point Guess what you're guilty of? The whole law. So he says, if you keep 612 out of 613, you're actually guilty of the whole thing. So the law could never make you perfect, but it demanded perfection. What an oxymoron, right? But that's the thing. So Paul's pointing out, says, all these things that you're trying to keep under the law, the purpose was, A, to bring you to Christ, but they really revealed Christ. And so in this, he really points out two things. We can sum it up with this. Diet and days. Easy to remember. He says, let nobody judge you or condemn you in what? Food or drink. So do you realize that the law had regulations on what you could eat? Now what was the big one everybody thinks about? You can't eat what? What else? <laughs> so basically the law said there was clean animals and unclean animals. Right? So the clean animals, it says anything that chews the cud and anything that has a, hoof, a divided hoof is clean. Anything that doesn't chew the cud or doesn't have a divided hoof is not clean. So, for instance, a cow is clean. A horse, 
not clean. Eat a cow, but you can't eat a horse. Sheeps and goats, clean. Pigs, unclean. It doesn't end there. It says that if sea creatures, or, or, or what are they called? Whatever lives in the ocean. Sea creatures? Yeah. So it had to have, it had to have fins, and it had to have scales, and it was clean. So you could eat like a, a codfish or a bluegill, but you couldn't eat a catfish because it didn't have s- scales or, or fins. You couldn't eat shellfish. You couldn't eat oysters. You couldn't eat lobster. You couldn't eat shrimp. Anybody out yet? <laughs> like, if I can't have my bacon wrap filet, forget about it, you know? <laughs> Certain birds. You could eat ducks, you could eat chickens, you can't eat owls and vultures. You could even eat certain insects were clean. You could eat grasshoppers. You could even eat locusts. Anybody? No? No takers? No fear factor volunteers? Remember John the Baptist? It says he, he went around wearing camel's hair, eating honey and locusts, right? Right? And he was, a, he was an old covenant prophet, the greatest of all prophets. So what's the purpose of that? So for 1,500 years, Jewish people were thinking in terms of clean and unclean. Paul says clean and unclean, food, dietary restrictions, actually points to the new covenant. Do you remember when Peter is going to... Now, Jews thought they were, they were the only people in covenant with God. They thought they were clean. Gentiles were what? Unclean. Peter is being summoned to Cornelius' house in Acts 10. He has on the, goes on the top of the roof, has a vision, and God lets a sheet down from heaven, and it says it's filled with all kinds of beasts and animals and creepy things. And Jesus in the vision says, Peter, kill and eat. And Peter says, Lord, I have never touched anything clean or, uh, or common. Unclean or common, never touched it. And it says that Jesus said to him, don't ever call unclean what I have cleansed. Don't ever call common what I have cleansed. And so when he goes to Cornelius' house, and it had, actually Peter was a slow learner because Jesus had to do this three times. And he goes to Cornelius' house and when he preaches to Cornelius and he sees the Holy Spirit fall on the people in Cornelius' house and they receive the Holy Spirit the same way the Jews did, bam, Jesus connects the dots for him and he says, oh my gosh, the Gentiles are clean because Jesus has cleansed them. And I hear I've been thinking in terms of clean and unclean my whole life, but Jesus has now made the unclean clean. And all that points to Christ. Paul says, don't let anybody judge you in food or drink or in what? Festivals. Feast days. Now, we don't necessarily observe feasts, but we kind of know about them. Right? There were seven feasts that the Jewish people observed. They started, they had Passover. They had the Feast of the Unleavened Bread. They had First Fruits. They had Pentecost. They had the Feast of Trumpets. The Day of Atonement. And then the Feast of Tabernacles. And and so they observed all these feasts. But Paul says all of these feasts point to Christ. Passover. Who was the lamb that was slain? Jesus Christ. He was crucified on the day of Passover. Unleavened bread. Unleavened has to do with having no sin or being sin free. Who was sin free? Jesus Jesus was actually buried on the day of unleavened bread. First fruits. It's at the first, the, the first is holy. The first is the best. Paul says this in uh, 1 Corinthians 15. It says that Jesus was the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep, that when he rose, we raised the same way. Jesus rose again on the day of first fruits. Do you think it's a coincidence? No, it's not. <laughs> God laid this out. Pentecost, 50 days later. What happened on Pentecost? The Spirit of Christ was poured out. 
Now the other ones, at least most scholars agree, haven't happened yet. Feast of Trumpets. What's going to sound when Jesus comes for His church? The trumpet will sound. The dead in Christ will rise first. And those who remain will be caught up into the air with the Lord. That's coming. That points to the return of Christ for His bride. The Day of Atonement points to the second coming of Christ. The Feast of Tabernacles points to the millennial reign of Christ when He will come down and dwell for a thousand years and we'll have a new heaven and a new earth. It's not about the days. It's about Jesus. It's all about Jesus. He says festivals. He says new moon. How many celebrate a new moon? Well, on new moons, I could probably just preach a whole message on this. Again, that's what happened. I don't preach for three weeks. So new moons, on a new moon, they, they sacrificed a burnt offering. Every new moon, they sacrificed a burnt offering. There were other burnt offerings that took place during, during the, the week and whatever, but a burnt offering is sacrificed on, on the bronze altar. Bronze means judgment. Jesus was the perfect burnt offering because the wrath of God completely fell on him. If you're a burnt offering, you know what? They had to burn the whole thing. They, they burn it all. And when Jesus is on the cross, the Father's exhausting all His judgment for sin on Jesus and completely exhaust all His wrath on Jesus. He says, don't let people judge you in food or drink or in festivals or in new moons or in what? Sabbaths. Remember the Sabbath and keep it holy. Isn't that what we were taught? Well, there's more than one Sabbath. You know, we're familiar with the Sabbath. The Sabbath is the day of... Oh, come on, say it. The Sabbath is the day of... Rest. rest. It is, but not the way you think. See, there was the Sabbath that was Saturday, and it wasn't even really Saturday. It's... It started at 6 o'clock on Friday night and went till 6 o'clock on Saturday night. If you ever read Genesis chapter 1, it says the evening and the morning were the first day. The evening and the morning were the second day, all the way through six days. So the Jews celebrate day from the night, 6 p.m. on one night to the next day. So if you really want to celebrate the Sabbath, it's 6 p.m. Friday to 6 p.m. Saturday. It's not all day Saturday, and it's definitely not Sunday. It was Friday to Saturday. But there's more than that. There's also the Sabbath year, that every seventh year you had to let your land rest. You couldn't plant crops. You had to give it a chance to, to rejuvenate. And then after you did that seven times, what's seven times seven? 49. On the 50th year is the year of Jubilee to where you'd rest again. Imagine telling your boss, hey, I need a year off. Like, I wouldn't give anybody a year off. Like, let's just call it, you're fired. <laughs> let's just make this simple. But you're a jubilee. You forgive everybody's debts. You release your slaves. Everybody goes free. Everybody goes home. And you take a year off. He says all those Sabbaths. See, those Sabbaths weren't so we could be here 2,000, 4,000 years later and not working on Sunday. That wasn't the purpose. They point to Jesus. When God created the earth, it says He did it in six days. Everything He did, He saw was good. And on the seventh day, He did what? Rested. He didn't rest because He was tired. He didn't rest because He was wore out. He wasn't pooped. He was done. He rested because He was done. When Jesus went to the cross and when He came back, and he, he, remember when he's in the upper room with the disciples and it says he breathed on them? He's reenacting what God did in the garden. He's recreating life. And when Jesus went to the Father after he made sacrifice for sin, puts his blood on the mercy seat, what did he do? He sat down at the right hand of the Father, not because he was tired, but because he was finished. 
It says in the book of Hebrews, it says, there therefore remains a rest for the people of God. For those who have entered into His rest have ceased from their works the same way He did. It doesn't mean not splitting wood on Sunday. That's not what that's talking about. It's meaning that when I get in Christ and I realize that He did it all for me, that I no longer have to work for my salvation. It's complete. It's finished. And I rest in that. It doesn't mean that you don't get a job. Oh, you know what the Word says. i got to cease from labor. That's laziness. Paul calls that, you're the same as an infidel. It says, he that won't provide for his family is the same as an infidel. I don't know what an infidel is, but that's what he said. But that's what you are. He didn't pull punches. All right, where were we? It says all these things point to who? If I want you to get one thing today, shadows point to the substance, and the reality is Jesus Christ. Paul said, or uh, the writer of Hebrews, I think it's Paul, but regardless. It says this, it says, the law is only a shadow of good things to come, not the realities themselves. For this reason, it can never, by the same sacrifice, repeated every year after year, make perfect those who draw near to worship. You've been made perfect. The law can't make you perfect. Jesus can make you perfect. And once you're perfect, you, don't, can't, you can't add to perfection. You're a 10 out of 10. You have his righteousness. What are you going to add to that? Filthy rags? No. Isaiah says all your righteousnesses, plural, are as filthy rags. I don't need any of that. Paul says this in Romans chapter 10, verse 4. He says that Jesus Christ is the end of the law for righteousness for everybody who believes. He's the end of it. You don't need any of that. It just pointed you to Jesus, and it pointed toward Jesus. But once you have Jesus, you don't need a shadow. See, too many Christians are having a relationship with a shadow. Oh, I've got a relationship. Yeah, with a shadow. You can't reproduce with a shadow. You need a relationship with the reality. See, in your mind, you think you have a relationship with Jesus, but you're having a relationship with the Old Testament Jesus. And you need the Jesus that came to earth as a man, lived as a man, died as a man, was empowered on the, by the Holy Spirit as a man. That's who you need a relationship with. Okay, so just, I just want to take just a pause And I want to bring, I don't want anybody to feel condemned. So you're like, well, I like to celebrate Passover. That's okay. It's okay. I don't like to eat meat. That's okay. All right? I I just want to bring some, just, maybe clarity is not the word, but just some balance. Okay? Here's Paul in uh, Romans chapter 14. He says this. I have the new living up here. I just like it. It reads a little easier. It says, accept. Now, we're not accepting of sin. Right? These are things that are non-sin issues. It says, accept other believers who are weak in faith. Don't argue with them about what they think is right or wrong. Paul actually addresses the same two things, diet and days. Same thing here. To the Romans. He says, for instance, one person believes it's all right to eat anything. Another believer with sensitive conscience will eat only vegetables. Next slide. Don't know why you would do that? But some people do. All right? For those who feel free to eat anything must not look down on those who don't. Now, I just, actually, I need to repent. I just looked down on you guys for doing that. Sorry. I apologize. See, I, I'm still in process. I just got convicted by the word as I'm preaching. And those who don't eat certain foods must not condemn those who do, for God has accepted them. He says, look, if you want to eat a certain thing, eat it. 
If you don't want to eat it, don't eat it. But don't judge the other person. Be convinced in your own mind. Now he goes on in verse 5, talks about the days the same way. He said, in the same way, some think one day is holier than another. Oh, I can't work on Sunday, brother. That's the Lord's day. Okay, I get it. That's for you. You want to live under the old cut? No, <laughs> he said, other people esteem every day the same. You should be fully convinced whichever day you choose is acceptable. I choose to serve the Lord on Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, and Saturday. They're all the same to me. I believe we come together on Sunday, but to me they're all the same. If you want to elevate one day above another, your choice. But he says this, accept the other guy's decision to do what he wants, and also be fully convinced of your decision. At the end of this chapter, Paul says this, he says, whatever is not of faith is sin. He said, actually, if you walk into something you don't really believe in, it's sin to you. So be convinced. Be assured. Hey, I feel right about this. I, I, I'm standing on this. Okay, your choice. But don't do those things. Don't observe the law. Don't observe the days. Don't do that to gain favor with God because you can't. If you want to do it because you want to do it, it reminds you of whatever, fine. But it doesn't earn your righteousness. That's the differentiator. You guys good on that? All right. Next. Sensationalism. Ooh. We hear a lot about this in politics. Boy, the other side, they sensationalize everything. That's not what we're talking about here. Different sensationalism. Sensationalism, as I said earlier, it's when I judge something to be good because it gratifies my senses. It feels good. It must be right because it feels good. Oh, brother, that, I was so pumped up when I left church today. That preaching was so good. Being pumped up did not make the preaching good. Elevating Christ made the preaching good. Getting goosebumps does not make the worship good. Elevating Jesus makes the worship good. And so when we begin to define and, 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 and elevate things based on the way it makes us feel, Paul says you need to watch it. You need to watch it, because here's what happens. Now this is a little difficult, so we're going to look at a different translation after this verse. I think it's the good news translation. But it says, let no one cheat you out of your reward. It's not talking about eternal reward because you're going to see in the next verse he's talking about the way the body grows together. So I really believe the reward is growth that should be taking place in your life because you're connected to a body. And, and the word here actually means don't let anybody be an umpire in your life that disqualifies you from the game. That's what the Greek word means. It's like when a ref makes a bad call. Anybody ever see a ref make a bad call? A team loses the game because of a bad call. They really got the ball across the line, but because of a bad call, they got disqualified from their reward. That's what it's talking about. It's not talking about eternal rewards, I don't believe. So he says, don't let anybody cheat you from your reward, taking delight in false humility, worship of angels, intruding into those things which he has. You see how the word not crossed out? That's not a mistake. I actually think it's a bad translation in the New King James. I'm a big King James guy, but I think this is a bad translation because every other translation has it taken out. So I believe it shouldn't be in there. It's really talking about people that sensationalize or elevate the spiritual experiences that they've had. Ooh, I've done this, brother. If you haven't done this, you haven't seen the Lord. You ever know anybody like that? You ever meet somebody that everything's a spiritual? Oh, I saw a rock. That's God. I saw a chair. Oh, God's speaking to me right there. Oh, I walked outside and saw a stop sign. God must be telling me to... St yeah. Like, come on. Like, really? Just be normal? 
Be normal. I, like, Jesus didn't act that way. I can promise you. He'd be like, hey, there's a stop sign. Let's try to run it. Yeah? Hey, speed limits. No, he probably wouldn't, but, you know, he get the point. He says, taking delight, listen, look at this, false humility, worship of angels, intruding in things you've seen, vainly puffed up. So, have you ever met somebody that talks about their spiritual experiences in such a way that it makes you feel less than? You ever meet somebody that when you talk to him, you wonder if you're even saved? <laughs> I talk to someone, I was like, man, am I even saved? Like, I think back to the word because I don't feel saved right now after talking to them, but God's word tells me I'm saved, so I must be saved. Or, oh, you haven't spoken in tongues? You're not, you're not there yet. Oh, until you've fallen out under the power of the Holy Ghost, you've not experienced the Holy Spirit. Let me say this. I want every experience that God has for me in this church. I want you to experience the power of God. I want you to see the power of God. I want everything that God has for us. But we never want to sensationalize things to the point where it makes somebody feel like they haven't arrived. Because your experiences don't move you up the ladder with Jesus. Because you're all made perfect. You're all made in the image of Jesus. How can you improve on perfect? Your experiences don't do that. And so what happens is, when you begin to talk like that to people, you become what? Puffed up. Vainly puffed. You know what vain means? Empty. Just a bunch of hot air. You're just a spiritual nothing. You think you're something but you're vainly puffed up. False humility. Oh, yes. I come into the presence of God and it's just glorious. Like, come on. What's that do to the other person? So what happens is what should be a great experience that should invite somebody into that level actually condemns them and pushes them away. So I'm not against great experiences. I've had my share. Many people here have had their share, and I want that. But that experience should be a motivation for you to press into the more of God and not condemnation to push you away from God. Because here's what happens. Look, look, look at this in the Good News translation. It says, don't allow yourselves to be condemned by anyone who claims to be superior because of special visions. You know, I think about this this morning. I was telling Phil earlier. So meditating on this this morning. You know the, Paul, the Apostle Paul? He didn't come out and say it, but I believe he was the guy that went to the third heaven. It said that he saw things that he couldn't even really write about. But what did he write about? He wrote about who you are in Christ. He wrote about who Christ is in you. He gave the revelation of Christ because that's what he wanted it to be about. He says, don't ever let somebody come out and have this superior because of special vision. Such people are puffed up by their human way of thinking. Here's what happens. Look at the disconnect here. Next slide. It says, not holding fast to the head. So the person that operates like that is actually disconnected from the head. Who's the head? Christ. Now that's not talking about spiritually because we know Romans says that nothing, I'm, I'm persuaded that nothing can separate me from Christ. But he's puffed up where? Here. Where's he disconnected? He got a, a disconnected from the neck up. Right? Connected to God in the spirit, but his head's up in the clouds. And it says, not holding to the head from whom the whole body, nourished and knit together by joints and ligaments, grows with the increase that's from God. Here's what happens. The person that experienced that, who should be the inspiration for somebody else to, to, to come into that, 
has now disconnected himself from the body and both people end up not growing. Because this guy's so proud of what he's doing, he doesn't grow. And the person that he spoke to gets so feeling poorly about themselves, they walk off and they don't grow. See, sometimes people are like Mr. Potato Head with Jesus. I was thinking about this this morning. Oh, it's just me and Jesus. It's just me and Jesus. That's all I need. I have a friend that no longer goes to church. I was talking about, oh, it's just me and Jesus, brother. I don't need church. I can watch online. Just me and Jesus. You know, you're like the potato head that if the head is Jesus... It's like a head with an arm. Just me and Jesus, that's all I need. See, growth takes place when the body comes together. Look what Paul says in the book of Ephesians verse four, or chapter 4. He says, we're to grow up in all aspects into Him who is the what? Head, that is Christ, from whom the, say this, whole body being fitted and held together by what? Every joint. That's not marijuana. Every joint supplies according to the power working of each individual part causes the growth of the body for the building up of itself in love. I can't grow without you. You can't grow without me. Look at your neighbor and say, I can't grow without you. Look at your other neighbor and say, you can't grow without me. See, when I'm disconnected from the head, I'm disconnected from the body, and I can't grow. I can be with Jesus all day long, but we all need each other. Because it says here, it says, every joint supplies. Each individual part causes growth of the body. See, as the head's never wrong. The head doesn't do the work. The head gives instruction. Anybody ever drove a car with your head? No, you steer, pushing the gas pedal, shifting gears. No. But your brain's telling your hand to shift. It's telling your hands to steer. It's telling your foot to brake. And all together you drive. But the head doesn't actually do the work. And so when we're separated from the body, we don't grow as a body. And it's not just you and Jesus, it's you and me and Jesus, and that's what causes the body to grow. All right. Well, so what do I see? When any part of the body becomes paralyzed due to false humility and pride, it results in the overall body not growing as the head desires. All right, we've got time. I guess we'll, we'll just finish up quickly. I gave you guys a lot today. Anybody learn anything? Yes. All right. Well, that's good, because if you're going to say no, I, I learned something, so I, I'm, good, I'm good with that. Asceticism. I put the definition up here for you just so you can see it. I'll read it to you. Next slide says this. This is from the uh, Encyclopedia Britannica. It says, The practice of the denial of physical or psychological desires in order to attain a spiritual ideal or goal. So I'm not doing something in order to get something else that if I stop doing this, then I'm going to somehow get some special favor from God or God's going to open some door for me or whatever. It says most religions have some features of asceticism. So I want to be real careful here because there are certain things, we'll call them disciplines that are good things, but there are certain things that, that really, none of it's bad, but none of it improves your relationship, your standing with Jesus. You're righteous because he made you righteous, not because of any of this stuff. All right. He says, therefore, if you died with Christ from the basic principles of the world, why as though living in the world do you subject yourself to regulations? Next slide. Do not touch, do not taste, do not handle, which all concern things which perish with the using according to the commandments and doctrines of men. It's basically saying, 
hey, don't touch that. Don't taste that. All those things have to do with stuff that perish. Once you eat it, what happens to the food? Gone. Right? It goes in one hole and out the other. It's gone. He said, you're basing all your, your, your walk with the Lord on that. He says, so don't, all concerned things with perish with using according to commandments of Dr. Men. Next slide. These things indeed have the appearance of wisdom and self-imposed a religion. Oh, wow. That guy took a vow of silence, took a vow of celibacy. He fasted for 40 days, whatever it is. It says false humility. And I'm not saying fasting's wrong. Don't take that the wrong way. Humility, neglect of the body, but are of no value. Here's the, here's the key. No value against the indulgence of the flesh. See, really, the self-denial comes down to what I like to say is willpower. Because that's what self-denial is. Like, how long can you last? I can last longer. I was in, uh, I was in Brazil <clears throat> when I was 15 years old. And uh, there's a lot of stories to this. I was on a missions trip. But, but on, we, we had very little to eat. I'll just say that. And the last day, it's three days to get out of this Indian tribe. It was one day by boat, one day by truck, and one day by train. But they gave us a square of bread about this big. And so my buddy and I had this, this contest to see who could make it last the longest. So what I didn't tell him was I tore a little piece off and put it in my pocket. We ate like mice for like three hours. We're down to like one little piece and hours go by. So he's like, oh, heck, I'm done. He eats it. Or no, no, I ate mine. He's like, yeah, I won. And so he ate his, and I was like, eh, I outlasted you. I got one right here. But, you know, it's just like, who can last the longest? That's cheating. That's called salesmanship, not cheating. See? It's all about perception. So Paul says this, he says, all these things have no value against the indulgence of the flesh. See, here's what can happen. You can say, I'm not going to sleep around. I'm not going to sleep around. Okay, for the, next, for the next week, I'm not, and that would be a good start for some of you. But, but for the, actually, it needs to be, I'm not going to sleep around until I get married, but baby steps. Um, Actually, no, I'm not. Let me just give you two words the Apostle Paul said, flee fornication. I'll just leave it at that. Where was I at? Oh, yeah. Not going to sleep around. Not going to sleep around. Not going to sleep around. ooh you know, it, how long is it going to last? See, you, you could, not going to do it, not going to do it, not going to do it, not going to do it. Well, eventually, you're going to do it. Yeah. Eventually, you're going to do it. Let's just be honest. Because self-denial only lasts so long. So you're kidding yourself. Oh, I'm not going to do this again. I'm not going to sleep around again. I'm not going to shoot up again. I'm not going to run off again. No, you will. Because you're trying to do it on your own. See, it says it's of no value against the indulgence of the flesh. It means you have these desires. You have a new nature in you. The nature of Christ. In your body and in your mind, you still have the old impression that the flesh man left you. You still have those desires. And I don't care how long you think you're not going to do it, you'll eventually do it unless you're walking in the power of the Holy Spirit. And that's all there is to it. Next slide. It says, these rules may seem wise. They require strong devotion, pious self-denial, severe bodily discipline. They provide no help in conquering a person's evil desires. Next slide. I don't know that I want to go here. 
When we try to keep a set of rules and regulations, whether it's the Old Testament law, the law your church gave, whatever it is, whatever rules it is, Paul says this about the law. He says the strength of sin is the law. Most translations say the power of sin is the law. Do you realize that's the word dunamis? It's miracle working power. Believe that. Get that. The miracle working power of sin is rules. The more you try not to do it, you'll do it. The more you try to do it, you won't do it. So what's the solution? Look at Galatians chapter 5. We'll end with this. Walk, live your life where? In the Spirit. Life in the Spirit will keep you from doing those things. Your willpower, self-denial, won't do a good. It won't do it. Paul says this, walk in the Spirit and you shall not, will not fulfill the desires of the flesh. You want victory in your life? You want victory over those desires, those, those things you want to do that you know you shouldn't do, the things the Bible says aren't healthy? You want victory in that area? Walk in the Spirit. That doesn't mean walking around, oh, I'm in the Spirit. I'm in the Spirit. Oh, you know, everything's flowers and Jesus. Yeah, no. It's spending time in the Word. It's spending time throughout the day talking to God. It's praying in the Holy Spirit. It's, it's all those things. It's being part of a body where you can get nourished and grow. All those things are wrapped up in walking and living a life in the Spirit of God. He says, when you do that, you won't fulfill those things. See, the Holy Spirit actually restrains you. When you want to do it, He's like, you're better than that. That's not who you are. You have a new identity. Your identity is Jesus. You are righteous. See, self-denial is not actually denying self. It's actually exalting Christ above self. That's true self-denial is putting me below Jesus and elevating Jesus to the place in my life where He needs to be. That Jesus, You're Lord of my life. And You're Lord of my life means You can speak into any area in my life. I give You complete access to every dark recess of my heart. That You can speak intimate. That You can guide me. That You can lead me. That You can counsel me. No, you don't want to do that. That will cause heartache in your life. You don't want to do... Yes, you want to go talk to Him. You want to see her. All those things. Lead me. And when you do that... All this stuff just falls off. It actually falls off. And you didn't have to do anything but walk in the Spirit. There's more to it than that, but that's just a thumbnail.